Our schedule is so off recently, and it's so my fault. Uh, it's mine, too. We've been off for, like, what, a month now? Something like that? No. Well, yeah, like, off schedule, yeah. Like, two, three weeks ago, I was like, oh, here's a, Tuesday's a good day to finally publish this. And then, uh, of course, our little one was in the hospital this last week. So it was like, oh, I'll do it today. Hospital. Oh, I'll do it today. Still in hospital. Oh, I'll do it today. I give up. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, good news is that your little one's fine, so. He is freaking great. He was running around the house last night just living his best life. There you go. That's uh, that's good. Those, those you know, early childhood sicknesses are pretty scary. So, yeah, especially when you're like, yeah, in the hospital, not just a sick at home situation. That's, that's rough. Yeah, and it was a little weird in the sense like he was okay so he has rs he had rsv and like that's a real common i guess childhood illness but it was hard for him to like breathe on his own and it wasn't that like he was not okay it's just he like needed oxygen to like be comfortable and sleep well and things and so like they gave him antibiotics, so like they gave him IV. Like he needed the stuff, but at the same time, like they were like, this isn't like something to worry about per se. Uh, we just need to keep him here to get him better. And so like people are like checking in on me, and it was super awesome, but it was kind of like, Yeah, I mean, he's okay. I'm like working. Like it's just like a, a sickness he's at the hospital for. Like it's not an emergency. So Yeah. Well, that's good then. Oh, yeah, it's super what? lucky. Yeah, when you told me about it, I was like, oh, my God, that sounds bad. But Yeah, yeah you hear hospital and you think, like, oh, no. Um, but luckily it wasn't. And, like, I'm – I yeah, it was hard enough, like, worrying about him going to the hospital and staying there. So I'm mm-hmm. super, super lucky and grateful that he is home and happy. Yeah. Well, uh, this week we have Andrew Mason on the show again. Uh, welcome yeah. back, Andrew. Hey guys, what's going on? What's new with you? Uh, since the last time I was on, I got a new job. So now I'm working for code fund, um, which if anyone doesn't know is an ethical ad serving company. I probably could have, uh, like figured out a better way to say that, but basically we put ads on people's websites to help fund open source. They don't have any tracking, so we don't, track our users. We don't follow you around the internet like everyone else. Um, and we're just trying to empower um, open source and people putting out content in the community to get paid for that. That's awesome. Uh, how are you liking it? When did you start, by the way? I started in early October and I love it. Cool. Uh, you guys have some, probably some pretty interesting challenges with like you know, you you are embedding your ads and having to basically keep up with the, do you have to keep up with effectively like the traffic that goes to these sites your ads are embedded on? You basically have to do a, you know, page request for every page request they get because you're embedding the ads. Like So basically, and it's possible that I'm going to say this wrong, but basically we have a little JavaScript um script that you can embed on your site. And then anytime someone goes to your site, it pings our Rails app. So we're serving like, I think like 50 million requests per day, per month, maybe. Either either way, that's, it's probably per month, I would guess, but still, that's a ton of requests. It's like 50 million is over 10 million a day, or a million a day, I mean. So, yeah, that's that's uh, Rails can't scale numbers. Yeah, that's Nate is so proud of that because um, we have like the ads are very very fast and we have like a hundred percent cash rate with Postgres. Like we're we're running on Heroku, um, with not an expensive bill. So, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive to kind of get in there and see how everything works and try to you know get my feel for it. So. You said the 100% cash rate with Postgres. So is that everything you're serving up is already cached in, in Postgres and then it doesn't really have to query to because it's already in memory? 
Yeah, the data um, for each ad. Oh, God, Nate's going to kill me when I say this wrong. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, everything is cached, like for sure. Um, all the data should be cached. And we like the Postgres tables have like 100% cache rate, according to Heroku. Cache hit rate. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So there were two things I was thinking about when you said that. And first is that when you said Heroku, I realized we need like a, we need some kind of sound effect. And when people say Heroku, we can hit like a hatchbox button so that anytime someone hears the word Heroku, they immediately start associating with hatchbox. And then Chris gets more hatchbox sales. <laughs> I like it. Shoot. I forgot the other thing. Uh, oh, you, you said, you know, Rails doesn't scale uh, in your, uh, sarcastic voice let's talk about that tweet that went around from shopify oh yeah oh yeah i saw that one uh so it was shared in the the podia slack but like we keep we kept up with like how many like we thought it was impressive how many sales like shopify was doing for black friday uh, cause they give you like real time numbers and then they tweeted something about, I'll have to link to it or somebody can read it and share it. But like rails doesn't scale. Oh, by the way, we did like billions and millions of all these requests and email transactions and things like that. And then that really kind of pissed off people on the internet and they were like, well, you could have spent less or all this stuff. Uh, but yay rails. Yeah, they're like just looking for excuses to hate on it at that point. And it's just, you know, I don't know. It's not cool. That's the thing that it comes down to, I think. And it's like people don't want to see that it's possible to build something really fast and efficient with Rails. It's kind of funny and sad at the same time. And they're probably not necessarily people you want in your community. So maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, DHH got in on the conversation as well, which was fun. What did he say? I can't remember. Oh, I had to think back. It was along the lines of, just, I don't know what you would expect from DHH. Like, uh, I think I read something. It, it, if it wasn't from him, it was someone else in the thread that was like, uh, yeah, but like, think about how quicker they were able to develop or like how happier the developers were like with the experience of developing versus like programming for the machine only, you know, kind of like the de facto kind of argument we have, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was, you know, I need a little Thanksgiving drama. So that was good. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I was like impressed with, I think they said they had like 125,000 unicorn workers or something for processing all those requests. And I was like, man, that is nuts. Like you could send 125,000 requests, even if there was just one, you know, I don't know how many servers they have those running across, but like, you know, it's just a huge, huge amount of workers, which is really cool. Yeah. I was trying to find that tweet. I know Nate was commenting on that too, about how, yeah, they could have used Go, but how much longer would it take it, have taken them to get started? And by then, who, like, were other people going to be in that market and, like, the developer happiness and how many less developers you need to have to, like, like have a successful Rails app? Yeah, and I would imagine, you know, e-commerce changes really quickly with... I don't know. It's just really complicated too because they have such a global business. They've got to worry about shipping in any country and sales tax in every single country and whatever else. Like the speed you need to probably have to keep up with that is just got to be crazy. So, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, like it works and it works well for them and that's great. But I don't know. People don't seem to want to believe that which is strange, but people are weird. <laughs> yeah. I tried to Google for the tweet and I ended up with an article about Trump reinstating tariffs on aluminum. Well, I'm just going to give up on trying to find that tweet. You don't want to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do good. to want to talk about that in real life. <laughs> and this isn't real life. <laughs> yeah. I, I am the same. <laughs> 
I don't want to talk about that with anyone. <laughs> oh, so this is a thing that's kind of relevant that came up in my life two nights ago. So I was laying in bed. Uh, my oldest was with my mother-in-law and my wife and child are in the hospital. And so like, I just like, I got this idea and it was like one of those ideas where you're like, Oh, this is cool. Like I could sleep on this or I could go do it right now at 11 o'clock. And so obviously I chose the latter and I was kind of like winding down. It was like one or 2 AM. And I was like, well, I'll just throw like, I'll get CI working. And last time Andrew was here, we talked about GitHub actions the last episode, uh, Chris and I recorded, we talked about GitHub Actions. And this time I have actual experience with GitHub Actions. And I would love to figure out if I am the worst programmer in the world or if it's really just like this much work to set up. Uh, yeah, I have a ton of experience with GitHub Actions. I actually got this week and I got one-to-one parity with the circle CI suite that we're running on GitHub actions. And no, you are not the worst programmer ever because it is incredibly difficult, like very much more than it needs to be. Yeah. It all started with my apps, Ruby six, Ruby six, five. And so, you know, I just did the like build Ruby or whatever the action is. And it's like, Oh, you specify 265. We need to use 263. So last week, Chris and I talked about that. And Chris mentioned I can use a Docker container. So I was like, okay, cool. So I use like container, image, Ruby 265. It pulled Ruby 265 down, no problem. But then there's the Rails app. So I needed to install Postgres. And so I used uh, this guide from this very popular, very wonderful site called GoRails and pulled the Postgres stuff in. But then it wouldn't install. uh, It would like pull the Postgres image and install, but it wouldn't install whatever the like Linux tool it needs is. And so then I took two steps back and I said, okay, um, Maybe this is like, cause I'm doing a container image for Ruby and it's not working with Postgres. Uh, and so then I went to Andy Kroll's website. He does this uh, really cool newsletter. It's like one Ruby thing. I can't remember the name of it, um, but it's really cool. And I remember getting an email about it. So I just basically copy and pasted his whole file in. And of course it still didn't work because uh, Ruby two six five container and Postgres weren't talking. So then I Googled and I found someone who was like, yeah, listen, this has been a problem. So I just made an action for using like Ruby build and I'll, it, like, it'll just install Ruby, whatever version you give it. I was like, you demand. So I went, put that action in, got it working and then it took five minutes to install Ruby 265. But he was like, hey, here's how you cache it. So I cached it. And then uh, I got to where it was like trying to set up the Rails app. And it set up. And it was ready to run the test. But Webpack failed because I hadn't considered Yarn yet. So I went back to Chris's tutorial, figured out how he did Yarn. Came back, put yarn in. Everything ran, except it took five minutes to run bundle install. So then I learned how to cache bundler. And then finally, honest to God, an hour and a half later, I had a passing test suite. And I thought, I have to be doing this wrong. (laughs) Uh, Were your system tests passing too? (laughs) <laughs> that's funny uh no what are come on i didn't write system tests come on now <laughs> oh see that's the hardest part to do with actions no i uh this was like i started this idea at 11 and i had i only had like five tests because i only worked on it for like an hour and a half yeah um but what you basically described is basically like how it is um 
in terms of like using Ruby 265, because we have Ruby 265 um, at CodeFun and I didn't want to use Ruby build or like the other methods people were saying, like, because basically at that point you can really use Ruby build or you can even go as far as use like RBEM for RV, RVM or whatever you want. But I didn't want to do that because I knew that was going to be slow. Um, so I wrote my own Docker image and I run the actions inside of my own image, which. Oh, wow. Yeah. So along with that, it, uh, I, I pass it like the environment variables for where a Redis and Postgres are going to be. And I also install NPM, I mean, Node and um, Yarn inside of that, as well as the libraries it needs and um, Chrome to run the system tests. And yeah. Bundler 2.0.2. Yeah, that, man, even because, Andrew, you helped me with the, uh, when they announced caching finally, you helped me get that working because, you know, I had copied the bundler install command from somewhere. And then, of course, like, doesn't quite match up to what the example for the bundler cache is. And so, you know, and just debugging those little things of like just bad examples is really time consuming with all this. And then of course you have to run it and find out whether or not it works. And it takes you a good five minutes or whatever to wait for it to fail or something. And then you've got to try it again, run your config, see if it works. And it's just, man, it is a slow process to get your CI running on pretty much anywhere. I feel like. Yeah. I was thinking, so there's a framework we haven't really talked about much on the show called Laravel, and there are two people in the community making a CI service like specific. I think it's specific to Laravel. It may not be, but I'm pretty sure it is called Chipper CI. And I was like, man, if somebody made that for Rails, like that'd be awesome. Like do that. I will, you know, like. For Heroku, I use Heroku CI, but like I've been trying to use Hatchbox a lot more lately. So like if you're listening and you're really good at building CI tools, like build a rail specific one and charge me for it and I'll pay for it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I bet you it wouldn't be too hard to kind of add that as a feature to Hatchbox because I'm already setting up your code to run. So if I just had a, you know, not the deploy script, but one that just ran your, your tests instead, it probably wouldn't be too bad. Um, and it's going to do all the same exact stuff. That's a, that's a good idea. Let's start it right now. And why let's start it. I mean, you start it and I will cheer you on. Uh, we'll do it. I think it's like something I don't really have the knowledge or really the will, how like the willpower to want to do, but like, it's totally something I want. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it, you know, this is the thing that like people like Heroku for because it's just a uh, basically a, a push and deploy and you're good to go for the most part because it's kind of Rails has the stuff built in and then Heroku has the stuff on their side to make sure that Rails runs with very little changes anymore in their platform. And you get a lot of these like generic tools that like GitHub Actions that just don't know the details of the framework and so they don't tailor it to it. And then instead as you you as a developer have to go figure out the nuances to make it work. And that's just like not how things should be in the long run. So I bet you that in in the very long run probably those systems will all be standardized hopefully at some point so that they can make it smooth out of the box. But in the meantime, yeah, that's probably an absolutely something I should add to, to Hatchbox. Totally. I think it would be awesome. Like Heroku does a really good job of it because like, it's just a Heroku dyno. So like if your app deploys to Heroku, like it will, de- it will deploy to CI and run. And like, I really like circle CI I'm just, I'm not good with the dockers and 
like making containers like expose themselves to each other. Like, and I know that's one of the things like GitHub actions you have to do. Like you have to say like, I want to run this Postgres service and here are the ports. And then I need to like wait for it to be ready and stuff like that. Like it's all stuff I could learn. Don't be wrong. I'm just not familiar with it yet. And so if somebody was like, Oh, don't worry. We got that. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Here's all the love I can give as a human. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably what everyone wants as the default, you know? And then if you need to break out of it, you need the option to, you know, customize it. But like having a default that just understands how it probably should be uh, by default, like, you know, we all are used to the rails running on port 3000, like that sort of thing just is a standard. Like if we, if we had, I don't know, Postgres is the, the default or something, or it always ran on the same port, then you wouldn't have to go specify it in your YAML config and so on. And also the YAML configs get really annoying because they're just hard to, they're just hard to read through and reason about sometimes. I think they like, they work, but once you have a YAML file that's several hundred lines long, it's like not really that fun to read through and manage and figure out like, oh, I accidentally pasted this thing and it didn't have the right tabbing and that's why it's not working or whatever. It's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And Circle CI is really cool because like, you know, you define your steps and whatnot or your different services and like, uh, so I, I mentioned this last week, but like work, I have a Jest suite and a Pronto suite, which runs RuboCop. And it just knows to like fire those up as separate, like, separate testing worlds that have different setup. And it's like, that stuff's really cool. And I think there's a lot of value to that. Uh, it's mostly when I'm working on my side projects and I want CI, I'm like, mm, like I wasted more time than I should have the other night on that because I just got so invested. So I can relate to the investment. I, I love circle CI. We use it at code fun. Um, and after experimenting with GitHub actions, I would never switch away from it. Um, at least for like the main test test suite. Now I would consider running like, you know, the linters and stuff in GitHub actions just because I, I mean, they could run in parallel almost, but I don't know. Sometimes I wonder when I'm running, um, like all my tests, like I usually have them, I know you can specify different, you know, like jobs in circle, but I usually just put them all in one because if one of them fails, I don't really want to keep running the entire thing. You know, I just, I'm like, all right, this, this failed. Stop. Let me go fix it. Um, but, and also like using, cause I, we have like a, a script that we have that you can run um, on a pre-commit or pre-push, I guess that will just like lint everything and fix it up for you. But I have, I've created like a RuboCop action in GitHub actions that you can literally just drop into your, um, like an action file that will run RuboCop and then output the errors in GitHub using like their, uh, their checks API. So it'll like show up on the line with the error. Yeah. So that's the other thing is like, I think there's a lot of value to GitHub actions. Um, I think there's a lot of cool things to be done. So that's why I literally, I was just thinking, maybe I just don't understand how this works. But also, too, like, it's still pretty new. Like, it just came out of beta. So, like, I'm sure these are all things that will continue to improve. Yeah, that's, like, one of the complaints people had was the the cache storage size was, like, what was it, 400 megabytes or something? It was fairly small and it was like, you know, you run it, all the bundle install stuff and that takes 150 megs or something for a stock Rails app, you know, and, and Ruby and whatever. So you don't have a whole lot of room to, to cache things, which is like you really want to try and cache as much as possible. And if that's going to use most of your storage base just for a blank Rails app, then what happens when you have something more complex? And they were like, so I think some of the other places had like maybe two gigs of storage that you could use for caching. Um, I think these are the things that would make building my own CI a little bit harder for 
for Hatchbox, or you have to, you know, always run a extra server or something to run your CI. I'm not entirely sure. It's hmm. I'm gonna have that's, to think about this these things though. But that that would be fun to talk about too. Building that that is fascinating. I even really wouldn't mind paying for a separate server to do that. But Andrew really like got my brain spinning back in the other direction of like using it to lint. And I think we've even talked about like using it to like run like prettier for formatting. Uh, but like, yeah, being able to actually go to the line and stuff like we do that with Pronto when it runs on circle, but it would be really nice if that all lived in GitHub. So maybe I am focusing on GitHub actions is too much of CI and not as much of a bunch of other cool shit. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of cool. Like, being with your code base, you can do a whole lot more like what Andrew's doing with it. Yeah, I'm actually writing a blog post right now that's going to be on our website. But that's kind of where I, at the end of like, I like looked up from my computer and it was like five in the morning. And I was like, damn it. Um, but basically, I view GitHub Actions right now not as a CI service. If you want to interact with your project on github and run like linters and stuff or like you can even change you can run prettier and have it commit to the um have it commit the code to that branch uh and all kinds of stuff like that i view github actions for that i would not be running my test suite on github actions it's just it's too slow and it's not worth it and there's like it's just it's just the wild west over there that's really cool too because on my side projects, I use standard RB, which uh, Testable kind of championed up. It may have actually just been Justin Searles. I don't know. But uh, I really, so I really value like the art of code, but even more than that, I really value consistency. And so I really like formatters for consistency, which I know is like a hot topic. We could probably have like a, six hour podcast episode debate on with like 30 different people. But um, that would be cool. Cause usually before I commit my code, I just run like standard RB dash dash fix and let it make everything consistent. So that is cool. And that is something I'm going to explore. Yeah. I have a standard RB check action though. It needs a little bit of love. I haven't updated it recently with some of the changes I've updated for the RuboCop one, but I haven't added in the ability to actually fix the code. I'm probably going to add that into a different action to itself because it's not as easy or intuitive as you would think. And I don't know, but it's definitely possible. We use standard RB um, at CodeFund. So I love standard now. I used to uh, used to always be on RuboCop, but I've, I really like standard yeah, I've started to really embrace some of the standard things that I thought were weird at first. Like, they just kind of grow on you. Uh, like, if you... So, I'm very much like, if you tell me that's what I should do, I'll do it. It's like when RuboCop's like, oh, always prefer single quoted strings unless you're doing interpolation. I was like, this is the gold standard. And then standard RB... Uh, a lot of work, a lot of standard there. Standard RB... <coughs> just says like just use double code quoted strings and now like i'm like yeah that makes sense because like at work we use the rubocop rules for singular double quotes and i'll like write a spec and uh be like it single quote shouldn't and then shouldn't has an apostrophe in it which kills that line so then i gotta go back and make that wrapping string a double quote. And like that kind of stuff just gets avoided if I use double string, like double quoted string. So, yeah. Even when I did use RuoCop, we always ran it with double strings. It's just, it's not worth it. The only thing, from, yeah. the only thing from standard that I like don't like, but we're not, I'm not going to like change the config to do it is I really like having an extra line after a guard clause. Like if you're returning on a line, I like there to be a blank line and then the rest of the uh, the logic. I don't know why, but it makes it a little bit cleaner and easier to read in my opinion. It depends for me. So at work, so I'm like 80% of the time, yes, but I can't give you a good example. But there's like 20% of the time where I'm like, I don't really want to put like a new line here, but it's fascinating. Yeah, I... uh 
And that just, I don't know. It's kind of nice that we have so many examples of different styles to like choose from. Uh, and of course you can do your own, but like, I really, it's like an easy way to see how other people view the world. And so like, I kind of view standard RB as the way like test double rights code. And I'm like, I really respect them. So I kind of want to see how they do it and learn from that. But it's cool. Uh, anything else cool in Ruby or rails land that we haven't talked about? Oh, I was just reading through the uh, Ruby 2.7 notes before we recorded and just kind of getting excited for that to come out in, the, in Christmas, right? That's the you typical release date? Yep. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited for that. And then what's really exciting is next year's. It got the, uh, the much expected ruby three coming out that's gonna be awesome but uh yeah there's a handful of little operators and stuff in ruby 27 like the um the beginless and endless ranges that i don't know they probably come in handy at some point but i've i don't know i don't typically use ranges terribly often um, you would be surprised how many times in the past like two months I've used ranges. Like I've used them more recently than I have in my entire career. What kind of stuff are you using them for? Uh, I use it a lot recently for seeding data. Okay, and that so makes sense. Yeah, I just say like uh, ten dot dot random between. So I, here's what I do. I use a range to generate a random number between one and 50, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a range using rand range. And then I use that as the ending value of another range of like one to whatever this random value is. And then I loop through that. Okay. Yeah. Generator. I've been random. doing a lot of that and I don't really have a good explanation of why, uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions about ranges, let me know. <laughs> um, have you seen the numbered parameters in Rails 2.7? I did see that, like where it's like a dollar sign, number, dollar sign, number. Uh, no, it's like a underscore one, two, three. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of another that I think it was a feature that was proposed that maybe didn't make it through. Oh, uh, maybe. This one is kind of cool because like the example was like if you had an array and you need to map it and you can't um you know the the shorthand for the ampersand in a symbol name to call a method um, right that one's nice and short but if you can't call a method um you know maybe you need to interpolate it into a string or something you always have to define the um the argument of the the name of the object that gets passed in or whatever. Um, right. You can now do like a dot map and do curly braces and then underscore one represents that. So you don't have to give it a name and it's kind of a shortcut for that, which is pretty cool. So that might come in handy to just, you know, shorten those little maps and things that um, I tend to do fairly regularly. And there's always times where I'm like, this seems annoying that I have to like add the pipes and a variable name and, and make the argument. Cause I'm like, there's only one thing and I don't really I care what, care what it's named. So yeah. That's like actually a, a big thing that it, like annoys not the right word. It's a big thing. I like wish there was an alternative to. So there I need go. to see that. Yeah. And what I thought was particularly nifty about the feature was actually like, I don't know how many times you guys do this, but if you loop through an object and you don't care about one of the items in it, like a nested array, you can use the underscore um, just to assign a variable to it that you don't plan on using. It's effectively the same syntax. You just put a number after that underscore and then you can, uh, you know, reach for that value or whatever, which I thought was kind of cool because it's a very similar use that people use that underscore for. So I don't know. Thought that was neat. Um, yeah. Uh, any more features? Because I have one that I'm really excited about. Uh, that we've already talked about. Oh, go ahead. The pattern matching. 
Yeah, I'm excited for that. Uh, it's different. It's like it's different from pattern matching and like elixir, like because it doesn't work where like you can pattern match like arguments for methods and stuff. Yeah, but it's like case statement pattern matching, and it's pretty damn cool. Yeah, because I mean, anytime you're you're doing something on a on a case, like if you're dealing with different types of objects, that's been really handy. But having this actually be able to break down an array in a case statement, that's pretty sweet. I'm really excited about that because that'll make just the boilerplate of digging into an array to find what you need is so much easier. I think it's going to be neat. I want to, I also want to shout out one of the features that got killed. Uh, <laughs> the pipeline operator. I know. Make it. But it was confusing because it wasn't working in the same way that other languages did. So I can understand why they didn't accept it. No, I get it. I totally get it. I was just looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it seemed like a, a pretty useful thing. Um, you know, just because it, it adds a nice little... I mean, as long as it worked the same way that Elixir did, it was kind of a nice little thing. But, um, you know, we kind of have fairly similar things in in Ruby and other ways. You can also use, like, uh, I can't remember the name of the method. I think maybe they aliased it as then. Uh, Oh, it's yield self. Yeah. So you, like, have an expression, then you called yield self, and it, is the first argument to that next method or you like give it a block and it's the argument passed in. I had a really, really cool use case for yield self when I was doing some action mailbox stuff and I didn't end up using it. And so nothing in my life matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just tweeted about the flip flop operator, which I had no idea was the thing. Um, but I guess it's been around for a while, like since Ruby two, four, maybe, um, it's a range operator, but instead of like numbers or something on each side, you put conditionals. And so if you use it in an if statement, um, the example that they had was if you loop through the numbers one through 10 and you print out the number, if, this flip-flop operator x equals five on one side and x equals eight on the other. If um, if you loop through that, basically it evaluates to false until the first one is true. And then it like keeps track of that internally until the second one is true. And then it returns false again. So it's pretty strange, but also kind of awesome. Uh, it's cool but my head's exploding. Yeah, like if you read it in the code, you're just going to stare at it for a bit and be like, well, I kind of get it, but I don't get it. And I'm like, I'd probably just use a regular conditional all the time. You know, I greater than or equal to five and less than or equal this to eight would be way more readable to me at a glance than this range operator, which is probably why it was like slated to be deprecated. But um, you know, it does in theory make sense as a range of conditionals, but that's kind of a strange concept, I guess. So it makes sense why it was kind of, but uh, supposedly some legacy projects used it a bunch and that's why it's not going away. Um, so uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what projects those were, but that's pretty interesting that someone was using it. Yeah, some legacy geniuses. Yeah. Um, what else? We've got filter map. That one's kind of nice. It's kind of like a, you know, map reduce kind of or related to that, that sort of operation. Um, kind of using them to combine them in a single thing. That's nice. Uh, tally. That's kind of cool. Numerator.produce. Will produce an infinite sequence where each next element is calculated by applying a block to previous. That's pretty cool. I like That's that. Wild. 
that could come in handy for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what else that the keyword argument stuff was changing again, I think. Yeah. Is it but it's not like uh it's changing but it's not breaking, right? Yeah. And I think that's probably what was the reason cuz it was going to break older code that used the keyword arguments if if I remember right, that was just like a okay, maybe this is bad if we're going to break all this existing code. Um that was one of the big reasons why Python 3 took forever to to uh get adopted. I was using right. Python 2 up until 3 came out and no one was like, oh, there's breaking changes. We'll just stick with Ruby or Python 2.7 or whatever it was. And yeah, no one wanted to upgrade. And that's such a cool thing about the Ruby community is everyone like pushes for the latest version and pushes that to change even more. So you don't get stuck behind in a bunch of old stuff, which I really appreciate. It's pretty awesome. And you know what? Shout out Django 3 releasing. Yeah, that was awesome. I don't know how long that's been in the hopper, but that uh, is pretty cool. It's exciting. Our uh, father, David Heinemeiner Hansen, even tweeted about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so also it's confusing because I got off Twitter, but I still have the remote Ruby Twitter. And so like, it'll be like suggested people when I go to check, it's like, Oh, I'll see what DHH is doing. Click. And then I fall down the rabbit. hole. <laughs> so you're not really gone from Twitter. You're just hiding in the shadows. I just hide in the shadows. And I don't follow anyone. I just, whoever Twitter wants me to see that day. I say, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Just leave it to the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's dark boards. Well, um, anything else this week? Have you guys been looking into what's coming in Rails 6.1 recently? Uh, not re- no, not, I haven't kept up to date now. There are, I am not super up to date, but there are a few things I've been keeping my eye on. Um, mainly the uh, action component stuff being recently in they added an ability to, you know how um, when you're testing mailers, there's a ability to like generate a preview. Yep. Just did a screencast on that actually. <laughs> yeah. So they've added the same action component. Ooh, that's, oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's exactly what that needs to, especially cause it's like, uh, if it's supposed to work in that concept of like, Give me some inputs and I'll produce this. And, you know, that's a perfect uh, example to have previews for. So, Oh, that's cool and, as hell. And, I would have never thought to do that. And uh, that reminds me of the, uh, the Rails conductor. Um, I guess we'll probably be using that a whole lot more if we've got mailer previews and action component previews and I don't know I what else what I use for action mailbox too, like to send messages inbound. Oh yeah. That's got its own views too for development. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like a very, very, very crappy form and you just send emails and they come into action mailbox. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the same concept that we have in jumpstart pro of like, you know, turn on stripe or sidekick and we'll go ahead and install the gem and, you know, dropping an example config file and stuff. So I like that a lot of having a, it's really WordPressy if that makes sense. Like, you know, you have a UI that you can use to go edit some code for you. It's just more user-friendly as long as you kind of understand what's going on behind the scenes. But, yeah. you know, that's pretty, pretty convenient. I'm really excited. Uh, Andrew, what else? Uh, is new in Rails six. If you remember any of the other items, um, there I'm looking at the milestone right now. I think that was the thing I was most excited for, um, because I have something I want to use with that. Uh, I know there's, well, action component itself is coming in Rails six one, um, so that'll be cool, and. Let me see what else. There was something that DHH posted, but now I can't find it. It was something about monids, I think. 
And uh, he he posted a, a tweet about a link to I think a talk at RailsConf about monads. Oh, uh, maybe that's what it was. I think I think they're trying to put it into Rails, or maybe he was just experiencing with it. I don't I don't remember, but I saw like a PR from him. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I didn't see the PR. I just saw him say that uh, more people should experiment with it in Rails. Gotcha. The other thing is um, you can now do like you can now query against like errors in your model, like model errors are now an object instead of like a hash, which I think I haven't, I don't have a use for that right now, but at my last job, I definitely would have. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm thinking through that. So basically you can do uh, like model.errors.where name is foo bars three dot first or something like that. Uh, you're saying, okay, that's cool. Or you can also really- add them too, and like see if they're added, um, delete them and a few other things, I believe. Huh. Um, that's, that reminded me too of, uh, actually, let's see. Active storage is getting like a proxy and some other options so that you can actually link like directly to the files rather than having your requests go through rails every single time, which has been like a surprise to a ton of people or a major complaint. So yeah, that, yeah, that, that is tough. Cause it just comes and just starts hammering your rails app with, yeah, and you don't you don't know it ahead of time. You're like, oh, file uploads are magic, and then <laughs> you're like, what are all these requests for? So well, it actually just makes it even more magical that it comes back through your app. Yeah, and so that, that's been a you know, how do you put CloudFront in front of it? Well, good luck, and that you know is is an interesting. It's kind of a strange problem that we have with a lot of the. Uh, stuff extracted from Basecamp because they're like they're like straight extracted from Basecamp, which is only their use case. And something as generic as file uploading, it requires you know a, a unbelievably flexible approach. Just because somebody might be wanting to upload videos or MP3s, and then you know you need to be able to convert those. And there's currently basically zero support for doing anything like that without hacking your own uh, setup and, and going through the rail source code for that. But the alternatives are like shrine where everything's um, like unbelievably modular and it's really easy to do anything in it. It's kind of funny that, you know, rails has a, I don't know. So, some of it just doesn't seem like as thought out as it should be. If you're going to add it to the core framework, but it's also nice that we get those features just immediately added and they've, you know, they didn't do the carrier wave or paperclip style of pre-generate all the thumbnail sizes. You can do them on the fly, which makes for, you know, CDNs and, and processing just to be, oh, kind of a million times easier. So that is good, but it also, you know, had a ton of drawbacks. So it it's frustrating that some of those features have to take a whole release till they're actually usable for the average case. But that should make active storage probably a good default, finally, for most people's use of uploading avatars or whatever. So I'm excited for that, for sure. Do you ever watch the show Parks and Recreation? I did not. I have. Andrew, there's this scene uh, where uh, Ben Wyatt gets fired, or not fired, but quits. You remember what I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. And he's at home. He's making a claymation video. Yes, uh, I do remember that. And he sits down with Chris to watch it, and it's like eight seconds. And he was like, "I, t- I told Leslie that this. I compared it to Avatar, <laughs> and uh, all I can hear when I hear Avatar is that clip now. But Chris doesn't get it. And I'm <laughs> sad." <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up, yeah. oh man okay. i get uh, it it was a good scene 
I'll have to watch that at some point. I've heard it's good. And I always see it like in memes and stuff on Imager and stuff. So, Did you watch The Office? Oh, yeah. Office was great. Okay. So Shannon texted me while she was at the hospital because she was like not sleeping. Uh, they came out with an edition of Clue that is office themed. <laughs> and it is impossible to find. So like... Uh, Amazon had one in stock and it was $150 because it's such a hot item. Wow. That's awesome. So I found it on, I found it on hottopic.com <laughs> uh, for a third of the price back ordered and I ordered it and I felt like I was in high school again. <laughs> just, man, you should have ordered just, all their copies and put them on Amazon. Should have, <laughs> should have ordered some, uh, t-shirts while i was there like that was the thing in high school like go to the mall and chill and hot topic so i just sat on the online store for a little while to see if it had the same effect (laughs) that's funny you didn't want to shell out 150 bucks for it no no i have even i have limits chris (laughs) (laughs) all right fair enough dumbest stuff all right. Well, I think this is a sign that maybe we should <laughs> wrap it up. Yeah, we got to go start our ar- arbitrage on Clue for the office. <laughs> uh, Andrew will be joining us much more in the future, and we are excited. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us today. It's nice to have a third voice other than us two just spouting nonsense. <laughs> there. Yeah, guys, I appreciate you inviting me on. It's been I, I love podcasting and I was really uh, excited when Chris reached out and asked me if I wanted to start doing it again. So thank you guys for letting me be here. Yeah, we're very excited to have you on and it should be good for us too to kind of, uh, you know, when one of us gets busy or has a child in the hospital, uh, you know, we can fill in those yeah, gaps. So. Yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, I think that is it. If you guys enjoyed the episode, you should give us a rating on iTunes. We have not been asking people to do that enough. So we should definitely get back into the habit for that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at EXCID3. Uh, where can they find you guys? Uh, on jasoncharns.com. Or I'm on Twitter at Jack. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm on Twitter and GitHub and anywhere really as Andrew M Codes. Cool. Dig it. All right. Well, good to chat with everyone, and we'll do it again soon. All right. See, See you guys.